Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with Halloween versus Reformation. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, a big day on the religious calendar is approaching, is it not? The 31st of October. Well, yes, actually there's uh, two big competing holidays coming up, but unfortunately the average Christian only knows about the pagan one, Halloween. I've even been in Christian schools and said to the children, so what's 31 October? And they all shout out, Halloween! And that wasn't the answer I was hoping for. I was hoping they would say Reformation Day. And But of course, Halloween is a very big holiday for the pagans. And in America, they're trying to promote it to be equal to Christmas. And some said they are hoping to make it bigger than Christmas to the extent that people are decorating their lawns with skeletons and coffins and tombstones and ghosts and all kinds of demonic-looking things and um, uh, jack-o'-lantern lighted heads and uh, all sorts of bizarre things, Uh, you know, cobwebs and spiders and anything to do with death and and evil uh, being celebrated. And, uh, of course, some of the most bizarre vampire and so on outfits. And you get massive sections, whole aisles in some big supermarkets of just selling Halloween things, uh, candy that looks like bloodshot eyeballs and all kinds of, you know, vampire teeth and all this. But uh, some of it looking a little on the sick side. But uh, this is very popular now in America and it's being exported. So Halloween is a religious holiday, but it's not a Christian holiday. And, uh, Tom Sanguinette, who is our former high priest and wicker, said Halloween is purely absolutely evil. There's nothing we ever have or will do that could make it acceptable to the Lord Jesus. Is it evil because one shouldn't encourage children to eat sweets, especially given by strangers? Well, I mean, here we generally bring up our children saying, don't accept anything from strangers. And, uh, well, except on 31 October. And, uh, of course, there have been some bad people who've used um, sweets that might have in it uh, drugs to put people out, and that has happened. People have been kidnapped that way. So, you know, sending your children around the neighborhood to um, accept sweets from strangers, um, you know, while it may be... A relatively small percentage who wants to take that chance and uh, it, it does seem pretty bizarre uh, tom sanguinet the former high priest uh, said the modern holiday we call halloween has its origin in the full moon closest to november the first the witch's new year it's a time when the spirits or demons are supposed to be at their peak power and revisiting planet earth so halloween has strong roots in paganism and witchcraft and by the way notice the first of november um, it's it's a very key date for them, but uh, as is also 31 May, uh, or uh, should I say 1st of May. 1st of May is super important uh, for the occultists because uh, for them that's, that's their May Day. That's also Human Sacrifice Day. But as is Halloween or the Witches' uh, New Year, that's also a Human Sacrifice Day. So there's actually quite a lot of youngsters hitchhiking and so on who just disappear and never seen again, um, who might have been sacrificed on that day. Um, people lose cats, especially black cats, uh, disappeared that day uh, for animal sacrifice. So the Celts considered November the 1st to be a day of death because in the Northern Hemisphere, that's when the winter's beginning and the leaves are falling and it's getting darker early and the temperatures are dropping. And so uh, this was the Druid festival of Shamhain. They believed their sun god was losing strength and Shamhain, the Lord of Death was overpowering the sun god. So the Druids taught that on 31 October, on the eve of this feast, Shemhain assembled the spirits of all who had died in the previous year to return to their former homes to visit the living. 
How did the Druid priests celebrate the festival of Samhain? Uh, well, on Halloween for thousands of years, Druid priests conducted diabolical worship ceremonies in which they would gather all kinds of animals, cats, horses, sheep, oxen, human beings even, and they would put these offerings, live offerings, stuffed into a wicker cage and burned to death. I mean, this is the, the, the wicker cages. And these human and animal sacrifices were apparently required to appease Shamhain and keep the spirits from harming them. You've described the rather macabre and gruesome Samhain, but how does that relate to what must be the dentists, costumers, sweet makers, and pumpkin farmers' favorite holiday of the year, Halloween? Yes, well, to obtain the sacrifice, the Druid priest would go from house to house or farm to farm, manor to manor, um, asking for fatted calves, black sheep, and human beings, literally. And those who gave were promised prosperity, and those who refused to give were threatened and cursed. And this is the origin of trick-or-treat. And it wasn't just handing over your cow or sheep or daughter in some cases, uh, uh, but uh, literally it was trick-or-treat. You've got to give them a sacrifice, animal or human sacrifice, and in turn you will be blessed, and if you don't, you get cursed. And that's what trick-or-treat means. And so the jack-o'-lantern has its origin in this candlelit pumpkin or skull, originally it was a skull, which served as a signal to mark those farms and homes and manors that supported the Druid's religion. So they were seeking the treat. So by putting outside your, either in your window or in your doorstep or just outside your home, a jack-o'-lantern, you were showing, we support the Druids. We support the Druid's religion. And so they were seeking the treat because when the terror of Halloween began, um, those displaying the uh, jack-o'-lantern or the candlelit pumpkin or skull um, would be the ones that would be uh, overlooked. They weren't the ones who got the, the trick or the, the curse. So the World Book Encyclopedia says the apparently harmless lighted pumpkin face of the jack-o'-lantern is an ancient symbol for a damned soul. And it looks like it too. So while people and animals were screaming in agony, being burned to death, tortured, the druids and their followers were dressing in costumes made of animal skins, animal heads, and a dance chant jumped through the flames in the hope of warding off evil spirits. And uh, you might have even seen uh, some people are doing things similar to this at Stonehenge, and there's a bunch of Wiccan and other groups, especially in England, who uh, are reenacting a lot of these things as though it's something funny and um, acceptable, whereas there's a reason why these sort of things were illegal for many centuries when Christianity was prolonged. Uh, Halloween seems um, to be presented as a rather childish spectacle or something that appeals to children. Uh, do you think this is intentional, while people are in their formative years being attracted to this pagan... Well, yes. I mean, you know, it's so often they put it to you as, oh, this is just a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's just about getting sweets. Well, you know, if your children want sweets, we can give them sweets. There's other ways you can have all kinds of creative ways of earning it by Bible memory verses, by fun activities, party packs and rewards for um, how many pull-ups they can do and push-ups or whatever you want to do. You, don't, you can make a... Um, sort of treasure hunt in the back garden where we have Easter egg hunts and so on. You don't have to have them dressing up as ghosts and vampires and all the things like that and demons um, in order to have some fun. You can give your kids sweets without encouraging them to go around the neighborhood getting from, who knows, there might be some pretty bad people in the neighborhood who would have some uh, desires of, of abusing a child. So it seems a very bizarre thing to mainline and popularize and make it look like it's innocent and sweet, because what are you celebrating? It's actually dabbling in death and cruelty. 
favorite macabre character during Halloween is Dracula. Can you tell us a bit about the origins of this character? Well, surprisingly, Dracula was a real person, Vlad the Impaler, Dracula. I've been to Romania, ministered a lot in Romania. In Romania, Dracula is known as a historic figure. He's not just a myth and legend. Um, they can show you his castle and they can show you, um, you know, a whole lot of places associated with him. Count Dracula is a very real person. He lived from 1431 to 1476. And during his six-year reign, Count Dracula massacred over 100,000 men, women, and children in the most hideous ways. I mean, for example, one of his ways was uh, he planned to rid his country of the burden of beggars and the handicapped and the sick and the aged, what we'd call the homeless or street people. So he invited them to a feast at one of his palaces, and he fed them well and got them drunk. Then he asked them, do you want to be without cares, lacking nothing in the world? And when his guests yelled, yes, he ordered the palace board up and set in fire. And nobody escaped. This was the original House of Horrors, which they now have as a ride and a fun thing at uh, MGM Studios. I think House of Horrors is something funny, but the original one wasn't. And you won't find too many people in Romania celebrating Halloween because uh, to them it's nothing funny. How has Halloween been promoted in South Africa? When I was a child, it was considered to be an eccentric, uniquely North American celebration. Yes, and at that stage, I must say, I think it looked a whole lot more innocent. It looked like they were dressing up like Casper the Friendly Ghost, and just a lot of smiles. And But it's gotten more and more macabre and edgy and more and more dabbling in cruelty and uh, uh, seemingly trying to see, well, how bizarre and how sick can they get? So... Like a lot of contemporary evil, you can see this is being promoted by Hollywood television, film production. So a lot of people in South Africa have started to mimic it, ape it, because they've seen it depicts America and they think it's good. And perhaps, to a large extent, it's also being promoted by advertisers who see it an opportunity to get people to buy a whole lot of bizarre sweets or whatever and uh, costumes. So maybe there's also certain markets... Um, uh, involved here, so there could be some commercial. But I don't think that's the main driving force. I think the main driving force still is this is a way to mainstream paganism and market witchcraft and to get people interested in our cult. Are there any other references to pagan sacrifices in contemporary pop culture? Well, yes, not that I've seen any of them, but I believe there's this British horror film in 1973 called The Wicker Man, which involved human animal sacrifices on some fictitious, isolated Scottish... Hebridian island where the inhabitants reverted to paganism. So the wicker man in the title refers to a large man-shaped wickerwork sculpture into which sacrificial victims were placed to be burned. So like the original wicker cages practiced by the ancient druid priest during Shamhain's festivals. So the central character in the Patsy is actually a devout Christian policeman described by the independent newspapers as a puritanical policeman, which is doubtless a bad thing in their mind. And the same newspaper described this horror film of one of the most influential British films of the last 50 years. Another publication went so far as to rank it as the sixth greatest British film of all time. Well, I've never seen it, and I don't know how it can be uh, put into such a category. I'm, I can think of a whole lot of films like Cromwell and uh, uh, Son and uh, Charge of the Light Brigade. I mean, there's a lot of films that you'd put much higher than that, My Fair Lady and so on. But... Uh, similar to the Wicker Man film is a 2020 television miniseries called The Third Day, apparently, starring Jude Law. Haven't seen it, but that's what I'm told. Um, 2015 is an English novel, a crime thriller called The Holy Island by uh, J, uh, by L.J. Ross, um, also set on the island of Lindisfarne, which is a great – it is a holy island. I've been on Lindisfarne. It's, it was a great monastery, also the site of the first Viking raid. Um, but in this novel, apparently, there's a pagan ritual involving fire on the 
Holy Island, which hard to imagine. Um, the Burning Man festivals that have sprouted up in recent times also, as the name suggests, culminate in some kind of pyrotechnic spectacle of a large wooden or wicker man, human effigy being burnt. We're very grateful without the sacrificial victims these days, but um, still it's, it's uh, celebrating or referencing something that was actually ugly, torturous, uh, what you'd call a, a real sick uh, crime. There's a South African offshoot called Africa Burn, or the Burning Man regional event held at Quakersfontein in the Karoo. So, yes, it seems that some people think that, uh, and I don't know that the average person taking part in these things has any understanding of the historic roots or the reality, uh, but it just shows how some kind of sickos out there are liking to mainstream or popularize some pretty uh, ugly things in history. Yeah, Dr. Hammond, we've heard about this gruesome uh, holiday, but now how do how should Christians respond to Halloween and other expressions of paganism? Well, I think this is a great opportunity for us to recognize we're in spiritual warfare and we put, should put on the whole armor of God. And uh, here we've got actually a rival religion, occultism or paganism, witchcraft, uh, competing with Christianity. And so surely we should go back to the Reformation, and uh, instead of participating in paganism and walking with Wicca and being in harmony with Halloween, having our children celebrate cruelty or dabble in a day of death, we should rather be focusing our family and our congregation, our neighbors, on celebrating Reformation Day, which is a glorious and wonderful high point in Western civilization, a great turning point, which we've all benefited from. And why is the 31st of October Reformation Day? Well, the 31st of October, 1517, Dr. Martin Luther, Professor Luther, nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the Schlosskirche, the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And his bold challenge against the unbiblical practices of the medieval Roman papacy actually inspired and launched the Protestant Reformation. So that's why we launched Reformation 500 some years ago and organized a whole series of events, including the 95 Theses for Reformation Day, translating the series of languages and uh, major events and conferences, and we were even in Wittenberg um, leading a major Reformation 500 celebration on October 2017, which was a spectacularly wonderful event. Um, but I believe all Bible-believing churches should celebrate the greatest revival of faith and freedom ever, Reformation Day. In fact, uh, one of our mission teams was traveling in Angola back in 1994 and came to a very remote village in the middle of nowhere in a province called Kwanda Kubanga province, what the Portuguese called the ends of the earth. And while driving into this village, they heard a sound that they immediately recognized the tune. Not that any of our team could understand the words because they were singing Ovumbundu, but they were singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God in Ovumbundu, Martin Luther's great battle hymn of the, of the Reformation. And they were celebrating it. They had banners up there, 1517, 31 October, and, and the great uh, Latin uh, phrases, battle cries of the Reformation, sola fide, sola gracia, solus Christus, soli Dio gloria, sola scriptura. I mean, these are the great uh, calls, calling people back to salvation is by the grace of God alone, received by faith alone. Christ alone is the head of the church. Christ alone is the only mediator between God and man. Everything should be done to the glory of God alone. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. I mean, these are the great five battle cries of the Reformation, summarized by those Latin uh, uh, solas. So um, it was a major turning point, and the Reformation was one of the most important turning points in history. It 
it released energies um, by the rediscovery of the Bible. And with the Bible being made available in the common tongue, this led to one of the most extraordinary spiritual revivals in history. The Reformation freed the Christians of Northern Europe from uh, centuries of uh, decadence of Renaissance paganism and led to the greatest freedoms and scientific discoveries in history. So I think every Bible-believing Christian should celebrate the Reformation. If you like the idea of having church services in your own language that you can understand instead of in Latin, you can thank the Reformation. If you like that, you can sit down at church instead of standing the whole service. You can thank the Reformation. They brought in pews uh, before the people stood the whole way through service. If you like that, you have singing hymns in your own language, as opposed to listening to a choir singing in Latin, you should thank the Reformation. If you like the idea of having the Bible available in your own language, well, you can thank the Reformation. That's, that's all come out of the Reformation. So um, I think every Bible-believing Christians should celebrate the birthday of the Evangelical Protestant Church, which is 31 October. Um, but no Christian should have a part in celebrating occultic Halloween because we're in a spiritual world war. And I don't think there's anything to celebrate in cruelty to animals, vandalism, murders. All of these occur with far greater frequency during Halloween. Why would I want to celebrate that or encourage it or identify with it in any way? Every Halloween, many thousands of animals are sacrificed in the satanic rituals worldwide. And even people, especially runaways and hitchhikers, disappear and, and uh, are, are in many cases sacrificed. And then there's millions of other people, including how many millions of well-meaning Christians, participating in Halloween celebrations, obviously not understanding the full significance. I mean, not everyone does this with any evil intent. I mean, many think it's harmless and innocent, but... Uh, if they look into the history and the facts and study what the Bible says, they won't get, uh, they won't be as comfortable. So many people have actually testified they were introduced into occult at a Halloween party. Now, maybe many people have experienced a Halloween party and said, well, you know, I wasn't recruited into occult then. No, but many others were. And Halloween is religious, but it's not Christian. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah, I've just been thinking... Um Halloween and, and its antecedents in uh, the Druid uh, religion, uh, they seem to focus on, on um, burning people and burning uh, human sacrifices and animal sacrifices. And we see a terrible tradition of Christians, particularly reformers, who've been burnt at the stake. Yes. So um, there's an interesting study that's been put out by Answers in Genesis on the roots of the Day of the Dead. And they point out a very interesting thing that every culture and religion in the world not only has a flood myth, legend, story, uh, but they all have a Day of the Dead in some different way. And uh, Mexico, it's called the Day of the Dead. And there's different uh, celebrations of this. And the only way one can explain why it's in every culture, it's everywhere, China, Korea, Indonesia, South America. I mean, it's just, why is it so uh, worldwide? And um, the only conclusion that these uh, students and archaeologists have come out with is that after the flood of Noah, where millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people uh, had drowned in the flood, and you can imagine how depressing it must have been for Noah and his uh, children. I mean, Noah actually got drunk. I mean, the one really negative thing you read about Noah after the flood, the depression. There would have been so many bodies, decomposing bodies around. There would have been so much death. And of course, they all would have lost family and friends who didn't listen to the warnings of God, didn't come through the one door into the ark. And so um, it was. it's believed that the Day of the Dead and all of these started by people remembering those who died in the flood. 
and that it got distorted and perverted over the years because every religion, uh, every country has something similar to this and uh, it's so global. So um, that's part of it. But then also remember the average pagan uh, religion practiced burning of bodies when they died instead of um, a burial, which is what we see as the pattern in the Bible. Everyone from Abraham, Joseph through to Jesus, burial was the norm. But uh, even when God um, dealt with Moses, he didn't burn Moses, he buried Moses. Which So there's, there's a lot of biblical uh, examples of burial. But the pagan religions, and if you think of the Vikings, the Greeks, the Romans, uh, they, they all practice burning. So uh, when you consider that, uh, that might be part of it, but there's something more to it. To burn a body is considered a curse. In fact, God puts a judgment on one of the pagan kings because he burned the bones of his enemy. And... Uh, that's why I believe the Inquisition during the Middle Ages had Bible translators and reformers burned at the stake. It was not just a painful, excruciatingly painful death, but it was perceived by people as putting a curse on a person. And there was a sense in which um, people could have considered that by burning the body, you're undermining the resurrection of the body later, which, of course, we don't believe that. But you can imagine that there were times that people did hold to that. So that the point was... The burning of the bodies is considered a particular curse because they can't be buried. And, of course, burials are very precious in Christian testimonies because, the, in fact, all over the world, I don't know how many people know this, uh, Christian graves are always facing towards Jerusalem. So that wherever you are, because Jesus says he'll return on the Mount of Olives, and so uh, graves are so situated so that no matter about the rest of the geography, they position it so that the head is facing towards, so that the feet are closer to the uh, towards Jerusalem, say in our case, north. Uh, Jerusalem is north. So that on the day of resurrection, the dead will rise up. They'll sit up facing the direction that the Lord has come. Now, this is a precious part of our Christian heritage that ensure and certain hope of the resurrection of the body. And then you think of the burning. It was meant to be a curse to the reformers and Bible translators by burning the bodies. And so it seems to be because it's so destructive, um, I think that uh, you can see the occults are absolutely in love with burning, and that's why they have these wicked cages, and it's often their symbols. And you can even go to a lot of these shops, even in Cape Town. Where do they do their uh, tattooing and uh, body piercing? Their shop windows are decorated with flames around it and so on. It's almost like an outreach center for hell. Uh, you know, um, don't make a chance in going to hell. Come here and make absolutely certain. Another parallel is that uh, Martin Luther was responding to decadence and particularly in his, in his uh, church leadership, uh, the perverted sort of elite, and, and that's what we're dealing with. And Halloween is an expression of regression, um, shallowness, tastelessness, and a death-orientated culture. Well said, definitely. And yes, uh, that's why I think we need a new Reformation Day, because Martin Luther had the courage to say no to the corrupt and um, coarse, vulgar, uh, the idea that you can buy salvation, you could sell forgiveness of sins, and and that you could buy high offices in the church, and you could buy bishoprics and um, a cardinal hats and what have you. And uh, you know, Martin Luther looked at this and said, "No, God alone can forgive sins, and uh, it's blasphemy and it's a false sense of security to tell uh, unrepentant sinners that they could buy their salvation and and to sell indulgences was a racket." Uh, but was, that wasn't all. There was all these superstitions and people thinking, you know, if I make a pilgrimage to to Rome and if I walk up and down the stairs on my knees and if I kiss this 
cross in the wall, which is where apparently Jesus stumbled with the cross and where I do this and that and so on. And then I can get so many years of purgatory and all kinds of superstitions. And, oh, this is a toenail of St. Thomas and this is a, a, some crumb of bread from the Last Supper and here's some milk from the Virgin Mary and here's an egg laid by the Holy Spirit when uh, he is a dove. And you're like, you've got to be kidding. But the, these are not jokes. They actually had this kind of superstitious nonsense. And just in the Schlosskirche in Wittenberg, which had the greatest collection of relics in the world, um, meaning, meaning a nail that had pierced the foot of Christ on the cross and a um, piece of wood from the cross and all these different things, that, you know, thorns from the crown of thorns, and um, that if a person reverenced each of these items, he'd get more than a million years of purgatory. And this kind of thing was believed and taught on the authority of the Pope Martin Luther cut through all this superstitious mumbo-jumbo garbage and said no. And that's why he called the people back to the Bible. Scripture alone is ultimate authority. Christ alone is the head of the church. Salvation is by the grace of God alone, received by faith alone. Everything must be done to the glory of God alone. Let man be a lion and uh, uh, God alone uh, be true. And uh, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So Martin Luther rediscovered the central message of the Bible, and he condemned all of this pagan garbage that was being done in religious garb. So, yes, Martin Luther today, if he was seeing this revival of paganism we've got in the world today, and even churches having Halloween parties, we've seen churches advertising Halloween parties at church, handing this out, and uh, um, I've, I've got some of these pictures, absolutely incredible. Send your kid along to the church to celebrate Halloween on ha Halloween Day. Like, are they out of their mind? Yeah, so we we want people to rather um, do something healthy for their minds and for their bodies. Um, what actions can Christians take, particularly on 31st of October, the date on which Halloween is celebrated? Well, celebrate Reformation, uh, boycott Halloween, <laughs> and support a Reformation. Of course, I'm not saying that you should shout at those poor kids who might come to your gate and so on. If you want to, you could use it as an evangelistic opportunity. You know, maybe give them some sweets or or carrot sticks or something healthy if you want, um, and give them gospel tracts that deals with these. Uh, if they're going to come to your gate, share the gospel with them. Um, I wouldn't um, get angry with them because they may not understand the significance of what they're doing. Uh, let's let's um, be hospitable and friendly and, and gracious. I, I wouldn't encourage it, and um, um, I certainly wouldn't go for their Halloween type of sweets. I'd go for healthy, uh, better, uh, friendlier alternatives. I certainly wouldn't be giving some kind of eyeballs and vampire teeth or whatever. Uh, so... so but the best thing is to celebrate the Reformation, do something positive. So, you know, praying the Psalms, sharing the gospel with the friends and neighbors, especially those who are unthinkingly engaging in this occultic celebration of divination, necromancy, human sacrifice, cruelty to animals, all of which we obviously reject. So it's, it's spiritual warfare, but it's also an opportunity for evangelism. How do we reform our calendar? Okay, so reforming our calendar is uh, a good challenge because notice we used to have a very Christian calendar and we used to be able to uh, choose to uh, celebrate all great important days in the calendar. Of course, what's the most, what's the greatest gift ever given? Well, um, the Lord's birth, uh, incarnation, therefore Christmas. You know, getting Christmas back to Christ, uh, it is the festival of Christ. Jesus is the reason for the season. Wise men still seek him. Christmas is a great time for evangelism, reaching out to the poor and the lonely and for Christ-centered Christmas cards. Um put Christ back into Xmas, uh, Christian emails and social media. We can often witness to neighbors and strangers and relatives um, at Christmas season, so that's great. 
Um, Good Friday is such an important, solemn holiday of the year, contemplating the sacrifice of Christ which redeemed us from our sins and um, maybe showing the passion of the Christ form, get people to realize the seriousness. Um, Celebrating Resurrection Sunday, the most joyous holiday of the year. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus is the resurrection life. He has ascended into heaven. Celebrate Ascension Day. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He has all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's coming again to judge the living and dead. So Ascension Day, a Pentecost Sunday, the official birthday of the church. We need to continually go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are great Christian holidays. And, of course, I would add Reformation Day because it's a rediscovery of the Bible. What I wouldn't be doing is celebrating Wicker's Day, Women's Day, Youth Day, Human Rights Day. I mean, those are just meaningless human, um, uh, humanistic type of events. But... That's not to say we couldn't use them as opportunities for evangelism. So if they want to celebrate Human Rights Day, which is the public holiday in South Africa, well, we can celebrate and protest the right to life of the most helpless, innocent people of all pre-born babies, protest abortion. If they want to celebrate Women's Day, well, we've, for the last 28 years, organized outreaches every uh, 9th of May to go out into shopping centers and street uh, intersections and hand out the traffic lights. Thousands of, of um, leaflets opposing human trafficking, pornography, other anti-woman activities, and um, using it for evangelism. Uh, so I would say there's a lot of things we can do to reform our calendars, get back to Christian holidays, boycott the pagan ones. I'm not going to celebrate Workers' Day or May Day or, or Celtic Day or Halloween or any of these other things. So we need to get back to, for example, in our country, Ascension Day used to be a public holiday. Well, it isn't now. I mean, what government wants to acknowledge Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, ascended uh, into heaven and he's coming to judge the living dead. They don't want to celebrate the Lordship of Christ or the Great Commission. But we can celebrate Ascension Day. I think every school, every Christian school and church and mission and Christian business and family should celebrate Ascension Day. So uh, these are some of the ways we can uh, reform our calendars, bring our calendars back to Christ and God and evangelism and not be just following the pagan culture with their uh, bizarre and humanistic man-centered holidays, of which I'd say Halloween's the worst. And Dr. Hammond, how do we reform our society? Well, there's a lot of great practical things we can do to be able to reform our society. And I would say one of the first things that we should do is actually to um, transform our communities because you can't expect God to bless a nation uh, in rebellion to his laws. And you cannot expect God to bless a country that kills babies legally with taxpayers' money, which legalizes and tolerates blasphemy as intent. I mean, libel against people is bad, but blasphemy against God, not a problem. I mean, no, that's not acceptable. Um, we can't accept um, so-called education, which bans the Bible and forbids prayer and promotes perversion. And No. So um, the most practical things we can do, I'd say first and foremost, start a Bible study and a prayer fellowship. You don't need a lot of people. Either join a Bible study or prayer fellowship or start one if, if there's not a good one around that you can join. Because a Bible study and prayer fellowship in your home or in your community or your neighborhood uh, makes a good positive impact. And our mission grow out of a Bible study and prayer fellowship. I think starting a, a prayer meeting or Bible study and prayer fellowship uh, is very helpful. You could decide to start some kind of action group as well, like uh, the Reformation Society. And if anyone's interested, you can contact us and we'll give you step-by-step guide how to start a Reformation Society and uh, steps you could take to personal Reformation, to reforming your calendar, to transforming your community, uh, good films you could show in the community, tracts you could distribute in your community. There's a lot of positive things we can do, such as 
entering into the discussions in our community, whether it's uh, being part of the Ratepayers Association and being a positive influence or a student teacher association or the school governing body or starting an independent Christian school or homeschooling. I mean, that's a very positive thing you can do. Uh, by home educating your children, uh, you're not only protecting your children from the negatives of the state schools, which often are turning into indoctrination gulags, but you're also able to make a big impact um, on your own children, not uh, just protecting them from the negative, but putting in a positive, turning them into reformers with missionary vision and uh, looking to transform the future. So there's a lot of positives we can do in our communities. You just think how uh, people aren't ashamed to run around promoting their climate change fear-mongering. They're not afraid to run around and promote critical race theory, guilt-manipulative racism, uh, anti-white racism, and so on. They don't seem to mind uh, running around even burning, looting, and destroying things and burning tires in the streets for whatever reason, but it's good, bad, or indifferent. Not that I think that could ever help anything. Um, many people uh, will campaign to uh, either change this or improve that legislation and so on. But somehow or another, the average Christian seems intimidated not to make a stand for Christ, for God, for life, for um, sharing the gospel or uh, campaigning to transform our community. There's so many good things that we could do, like beautify our community, plant more trees, um, uh, reclaim our uh, parks and turn them again to beautiful places, not litter strewn. Now, some communities are... are coordinating this through like a community improvement district where they they pay an extra tax to a private company to do what we are paying rates and taxes to the government to do, but they're not doing. Uh, you can campaign for uh, independence, for example, in Cape Town, we're moving for Cape Exit and Cape Independence Movement because we can see the central government is only wanting to destroy our country and they don't want to do their jobs. We pay them through rates and taxes, not voluntarily, but they take it from us to defend us, but they don't defend us. So we've got to get our own private security companies. Uh, they don't clean up the community, so we've got to get private companies to do what we're paying them to do. And uh, well, why not just privatize the whole lot and declare your independence because if the government's going to act like some mafia protection uh, group where you know you pass the protection money or we burn down your shop or break your knees or something. Uh, that's the way the mafia do it, and this isn't Sicily. So uh, why don't we go for... Uh, answerable leaders, and if these leaders don't want to be servant leaders and proving the community, then we will secede. And the Cape of Good Hope has kind of had enough, and we don't want to go down with the SA Titanic, with the ANC communist bunch who want expropriation of property without compensation. We think, well, thank you, but no thank you. Um, uh, we'd rather go on our own, th thanks, and um, you have fun, uh, but not with our money, thank you, uh, or with our children for that matter. So I can think of a lot of practical things we can do, and we have done. And sometimes it starts with something as simple as a litter drive. Going out and cleaning up the community, cleaning up and reclaiming your park um, that your children can go there without fear of stepping on some uh, drug addict's needle and things like that. And uh, being able to make our areas beautiful again, planting trees and uh, evangelizing our neighbors and celebrating great events like, well, going back to having Christmas carols in the public park uh, neighborhood um, uh, watches and um, uh, tree planting sprees, which we've been doing in our community, planting trees in memory of, of beloved relatives uh, on our um, canal. And, uh, you know, these are, are constructive things. We've all got to have hope for the future. And we mustn't be part of the problem. We must be part of the solution. So it's 
it's better to light a candle and to curse the darkness. And so instead of just complaining about Halloween, celebrating the Reformation is lighting that candle. And Dr. Hammond, um, can we, what can we do to be like Martin Luther and reform our churches? Our churches certainly need Reformation. And uh, praise God for all the practical things that Martin Luther did to bring people back to re Reformation. But I think all Reformation has got to start with personal Reformation. And that's where Martin Luther started. Martin Luther did not start out planning a Reformation. He didn't start out to plan a movement. He wasn't trying to uh, even um, uh, change his local church. What he was trying to do is have peace with God. And so the first thing is to reform ourselves. And it was when Martin Luther sought peace with God and experienced justification by faith and regeneration, that's when he started to move to challenge the church 95 Theses and uh, everything for making a stand at forums, my conscience kept the word of God, here I stand, it can do another. But it starts with personal reformation. So will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So I'd say first and foremost, get back to the Bible. Schedule time with God in your diary. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If something or someone is important, you need to schedule time in your diary. So just as you would not miss an appointment with anyone else, be sure to honor your appointment with God. Make an appointment, whether it's first thing in the morning, last thing at night, uh, scripture before supper, Bible before breakfast, uh, psalm before lunch, or whatever. But schedule time with God in your diary, a quiet time, a devotional time, and switch off your cursed cell phone. Switch off your phone in church, switch it off during devotions, switch it off in prayer meetings. No one's more important than God, and nothing's more important than your relationship with God. It's obnoxious to see how many people have their cell phone on, even in church services and prayer meetings and devotions. And, you know, here they're getting into what they think is the most important thing. Bing! And totally their attention. No. Um, I, I had a pastor say to me he had a funeral uh, for somebody from who was Congolese, and he said it looked like every single person congregation had the phone go off at least once during the service and they all answered it and answered verbally in the without even leaving the room it's just like um marketplace you can't do that if people don't even have respect in a funeral so we've got to um technology is a dangerous servant but it's a fearful master you know if you want to use technology as your servant like we are using right now uh, with this podcast that's fine but um we mustn't let technology be our master so we've got to build the Bible back into our daily routine. Until something's a daily habit, like brushing your teeth, it doesn't really control our lives. So we need to put the Bible into our daily routine. And so I say, Bible before breakfast. Start your day with wisdom. Read a chapter of Proverbs every morning. There are 31 chapters of Proverbs, so that would work out to one proverb, uh, chapter for every day of the month. Proverbs are an inexhaustible treasure of wisdom, insight, solutions for daily problems. So at the end of the month, I'd start again. I mean... Proverbs before breakfast, and then the psalm before lunch. The psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. It's the worship book, the hymn book. If you want to revitalize your prayer life, start praying through the psalms. There are 150 psalms. So you can go through the whole book of psalms every five months, actually. And scripture before supper. I noticed when I came down from Rhodesia from a very secular family that in South Africa, Afrikaans families tend to have book of fat or scripture reading after supper. So when supper's over, they'd call any... Um, made in the kitchen, all the guests would be there, any servants that were in the household or the farm would gather around table and the father or the grandfather would read the scripture and uh, and they would pray. And uh, that's a lovely tradition. Uh, but whether it's before supper or after supper, main thing is to make scripture and your meals part of every day's routine. And I would also challenge people, if you want revival, try and read through the whole Bible in a year. 
that's not that difficult because uh, just consider the fact that uh, there's 1,187 chapters in the Bible. So if you read one chapter a day, that'll get you through the whole Bible in four years. But if you read four chapters a day, it'll get you through the whole Bible in a year. So uh, read, plan to read through the whole Bible in a year. So if you do, say, Proverbs chapter in the morning before breakfast, a psalm before lunch, and then you do two chapters in the evening, devotional life, for example, um, you could get through the whole Bible in a year. And I'd also recommend people, how about tithing your day? As a new Christian, I devoted at least two and a half hours of every day to spiritual exiles, reading the Bible, Christian books, Christian magazines, to pray and worship and outreach. I mean, two and a half hours out of 24, that's not that much. Uh, but tithing a day for spiritual exercises, try it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And this is one that's not too popular today. But how about doing a thorough job of restitution and repentance? I mean, anything that we need to repair, restore, return, uh, apologize, whatever, um, rid yourself all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Um, invest in renewing your mind. There's so many great books. Buy or borrow Christian biographies, missionary books, devotionals, doctrinal books. There's great materials. If you don't know where to start, well, Psalms. If you need a book, um, Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon, outstanding beginning for any devotional reading. Um, and your local church. Be a faithful member. Attend the Bible study and prayer meeting of your church. And volunteer some of your time to help your local church or local mission. Make Sunday special. Honor the Lord's Day by avoiding normal work activities, including shopping on the Lord's Day. And assure that Sundays in your home are truly a day of rest, a day of worship, a day for the family, free from commercial activities and worldly distractions. And then we can start other things for reforming our lives. Receive evangelistic training. Get evangelism explosion or way of the master training. Attend a great commission course. And then uh, that will prepare one for being a real serious um, threat to the kingdom of Satan and for advancing the kingdom of God and seeking first the kingdom of God, fulfilling great commission by being involved in a lifestyle of evangelism. So those are just some of the uh, things I would recommend for reforming our church and our lives. Um, and by the way, if somebody says, I don't have the time for all these steps for personal reformation, I can add another suggestion. Disconnect the TV. Stop reading the new daily newspapers or scrolling through the uh, thread or whatever it is that people get in social media. Uh, it, you know, they say that uh, when I was growing up, they said the average person spent five hours watching TV. Well, I don't know what it is now, but if you take all the screen time that people are using, it's probably more than that now. So, uh, and uh, who knows how much time people spent reading newspapers. I believe the average person spent like 50 minutes reading newspaper a day. Well, these days, newspapers are kind of out of fashion, but people are scrolling through all kinds of social media stuff and what... what uh, Twitter and uh, YouTube want you to see. And uh, uh, I think we can do better than letting big tech guide our lives. Um, they're not on our side. They certainly aren't on God's side. And that'll provide us with a couple of extra days, hours each day, which we can carefully and wisely invest. Dr. Hammond, um, what resources does Frontline Fellowship offer to educate people about uh, the reality of Halloween? Well, uh, first of all, from Christian Liberty books, you will get a lot of great things like this. Films like Halloween, Have You Been Tricked?, which is suitable for children. And Halloween Trick or Treat, suitable for teens and older. Um, good videos. There's, there's the tracks, the Bible and Halloween, um, and that you can download from our 
www.livingstonfellowship.co.za website. So there are some good things to expose Halloween, but if you go onto the Frontline Mission SA.org website, you'll see a video, you'll see audio, you'll see PowerPoints, all linked to exposing a biblical answer to or biblical response to Halloween. And on the positive side, how can you, how can uh, people learn more about the Reformation? Well, the main book for this would be The Greatest Century of Reformation, which is now in its second edition, much expanded. And it's got 16 biographies on 16 of the most important reformers of the 16th century. And it's also got calendars and what happened on this day and chronology and the key people of the Reformation and a whole lot of great things, the doctrines. And, but the main thing is a lot of pictures, a lot of great uh, insights and stories of uh, these. So basically 16 biographies. And uh, so The Greatest Century Reformation is the book. Uh, there's a lot of audio materials. If you want uh, for personal uh, reformation, well, the Power of Prayer Handbook. If you want to reform your family, we've got Reforming Our Families, which my wife wrote. Um, if you want to reform your country, well, Biblical Principles for Africa. If you want to go through every book of the Bible, well, we've got an Old Testament survey and New Testament survey, which is a six-year project summarizing every book of the Bible. And it's also available audio and on our sermon audio, too, if you want to go uh, through and have help on how to summarize the key essential parts of every book in the Bible, and uh, even the ones that most people don't read these days. So those are some of the things, but I really think Great Essential Reformation book will give people a hunger for learning more. Thank you for your inspiration and wisdom, Dr. Hammond. In closing, let's consider 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.